Mindfulness mode. No matter where you are in your life right now, it's all good. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, I'm here with a woman who was born in the Soviet Union, and at the age of eight, she emigrated with her family to Brooklyn, and she's now a writer. She's she's an actress. Her work has appeared in the Washington Post, the New York Daily News, the Wall Street Journal, the Independent, and a whole lot of others. She lives with her two daughters and husband in New York, and I'm so excited about talking to Jesse Kanzer today because she is a person who has studied the Tao Te Ching in depth, and that's one of the topics we're going to be talking about. So, Jesse, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, Bruce. I and I am. I was in and out, and now I'm back in. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The Jessie, kids what, do that. The kids knock me out sometimes. <laughs> oh, I I hear you. I know what you mean about that. Tell me, what does mindfulness mean to you? To me, it means kind of what we said right now. It's the ability to come back in to your center, to your place of peace and knowing over and over and over again throughout the day, throughout your life, as many times as necessary and many times are necessary because we got get knocked out of our stream all of the time. That is what being human is. And for me, it's learning and understanding how to come back to our center and how to take those pauses between stimulus and response so that we're able to live a less reactive life and a more intentional one. That makes perfect sense. Tell me, what got you first interested in the Tao Te Ching, Jesse? Need. As they say, right, the necessity is the mother of all invention. For me, necessity was the start of my spiritual journey. And I think it's probably similar for a lot of people. Uh, we usually search because we need to search, right? If everything's perfect and going well, sometimes we are not challenged enough to go looking for answers. Uh, so, as you said, I was born in the Soviet Union, and during my time as a refugee, we lived in several countries before we made our way over to America, to New York, to Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and a lot of identity loss happens during that time. Uh, because my family was in survival mode, it wasn't like those early childhood traumas were addressed because, uh, you know, we had to build a life and had to, like, get enough food and very basic things that have to do with living. That's what was in focus early on in my life. But eventually my traumas, my loss of self caught up and I ended up struggling with dis um, an eating disorder. I had an eating disorder in my teens and my early 20s and uh, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, all of that stuff that makes it very hard to function. But I tried as hard as I could for a long time to still keep my mask of perfectionism up, you know, and I was um, straight A student and I dressed very nicely and I presented myself as if I had everything together. And now when I see a person who looks like they have it all together, I am wary of there's probably something under the surface because that's how I was. I hid a lot of stuff and eventually I had nowhere left to go to hide the pain. Like everything just came to a halt after I graduated college, a huge car accident took place. And I was then broken physically, broken emotionally. And I began to search for meaning, you know, that was my 
hero's journey, my man's search for meaning. And I started really finding a lot of ease in these Eastern philosophies, like the Tao Te Ching, these ancient teachings. I mean, the Tao is from 6th century BC, right? So it was these old ways of looking at our modern life that really helped me find ease, even in my struggle. Wow. And you struggled so much with bulimia. And were you a teenager at that time? Or what part of your life was that in? I did struggle when I was a teenager. It started when I was a teenager, but I uh, found the Tao and other spiritual teachings that really helped me in my 20s already. I was in my 20s. I'm still struggling, but in my 20s. <laughs> right. I see. And so so you started studying the Tao Te Ching. And what form of the Tao did you study? Did you, did you read it in a written word or did you listen to it or what did you do? So my first copy was the tiny pocket-sized copy of... Stephen Mitchell's translation of the Tao Te Ching. That was the first one. And that's what I used for years. I would like earmark the different verses and, you know, they're so short and some of yeah. them are so easy at first glance. And then you, you can dig and keep digging. And that's what I did. And I would take walks and just think about what the Tao was telling me, which was, you know, let the mud settle, untie your knots. And I was all knots at that time. Really, I was. And uh, I started to change slowly, change my percep perception. And as we talked before our call, uh, I was very affected by Wayne Dyer's take of the Tao. He wrote, change your thoughts, change your life. I, I read that as well. I read many other copies. Um, this is uh, Jonathan Starr's translation, another book. So I started to read. I had Osho's translation of the Tao or rather uh, analysis of the Tao. So I started to read throughout the years it wasn't you know it wasn't like daily but i started to look deeper and deeper and deeper into this philosophy and sometimes i would use it very well and other times i would forget about it because i was still young then you know early 20s and mm -hmm. then i was in my later 20s and what i realized is time and time again when life got hard i would come back to it and it served me well and that's when i realized i had to share it and share my experiences with the Tao with others. And that's how I wrote, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. Right, and I was just gonna mention that your book is called Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. And I love the subtitle, Healing, Chilling, and Living with the Tao Te Ching. Yeah, so when did you first decide to write this book and how long did it take you? I, um, so it took me uh, about three years uh, between, but honestly, that's not very long, as you know, for, for books. It was three years between starting and publishing. Um, and I've worked longer on other things, but this one just needed to come out. And uh, I started, I was getting published, as you'd mentioned in my introduction, you know, in the New York Times, I had an article in the LA Times, in the Washington Post, etc. And I'm a personal essayist. I was writing personal essays. A lot of them were about immigration or raising first generation Americans. And um, it was my stories, very honest stories of struggling with an eating disorder. But I realized I wanted to go deeper. I hadn't written a book yet. And I wanted to share with others what I was able to give myself through the years. Right. And I knew that I needed to structure it around something bigger than myself so that it can affect other people. And for me, the Tao just stood out so uh, concretely because while I studied a lot of spirituality and teachings by various masters, this one is so simple that I knew that our chaotic modern day existence could use it. 
could use this little bits of simplicity. And so I just, I began, I just started doing that. And funny enough, I went to this party. There was a party in my town uh, before the pandemic. And there was a party for this new workspace. They had a lot of entertainment there. And they had this aura reader, this one aura reader. And this aura reader looked at me and said, start the book. And I hadn't started it yet, but I had the idea. And so I just kind of was taken aback. I spent the rest of the party running around to everyone who saw this aura reader and asking them what he told them. So when I realized no one else was told to start the book, it was just like that little nudge from the universe saying yes. And then my friend won me. I didn't even know she entered me into a raffle and I won free three months membership in this workspace where anyone will know, like for a mom of, I had very little kids at the time. Um, you need your own space to be able to think. And so like all of a sudden in the span of one night, someone told me to start the book and I got a space in which to do it. So it was a no brainer then. <laughs> that is really incredible. Yeah. It's a fun that... story. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talk about how the Tao Te Ching is so powerful to help us with relationships, whether it's marriage or, uh, you know, other types of relationships. How has it helped you? Oh, and it, yes. And it continues to help me because, of course, you know, I tell this to people all the time. I know all these things. I've been studying them for a long time and I'm still human. So we know better. We don't always do better. And so the Tao always helps bring me back to a place of allowing freedom to the other person. So if it's your significant other, you know, I've been married um, almost 10 years at this point, and my kids are seven and uh, and five. And so as they get older, I have more of a relationship with them that's a little different than just keeping baby alive, right? <laughs> and it's also a relationship, but as, as it gets more complex as they are showing their personalities and their their soul's purpose and yearnings that not always align with mine. And so this understanding of giving them the space to be who they are and not pushing my agenda on my children has greatly helped me in parenting and has greatly helped me to relax, to find more ease in my parenting journey. So I'm not struggling to get them to do what I want them to do because I know that that's not the way to do things. But I know from my own struggles and then finding that ease that the Tao speaks of. Jesse, you experienced a very traumatic thing in your life, a date rape. And I'm wondering if you can just maybe delve into that a little bit and share with us how the Tao Te Ching helped you to overcome that that very, very difficult experience. Sure. And thanks for bringing that up because I, I, I forget sometimes how much of myself I put into this book, but I really try to be an open book and not think about the end result of everyone I know re reading it. But the truth is, um, I think it's so important to share our traumas and vulnerabilities. And that's why I put them in there, because then other people have told me that this happened to me as well, or this happened to me as well. And, uh, you know, all our traumas look different. But I think that overcoming them is a similar journey, whether you're overcoming date rape or any other sort of human betrayal or human abuse that happens and it happens to most of us in some form whether we didn't get what we needed from our parents whether we were abused by someone close to us or someone far from us or 
anytime one human being inflicts pain on another human being, there's a victim and there's a perpetrator and both sides suffer. And for me, the greatest lesson of overcoming what happened to me when I was um, again in my 20s, my 20s were a hard time for me. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it's, uh, it's about finding forgiveness. And the Tao speaks a lot about forgiveness and just this understanding, this acceptance of everything the way it is, everything the way it was. And to me, forgiveness is letting go of the hope that the past could have been any different. The Tao Te Ching helped me find my own journey to forgiveness by letting go of the hope that I could have changed the past. It's this understanding of that was my story. I gleaned a lot of wisdom from my own pain and overcoming it. And I was really able to let go of any anger. Uh, of course, it's not something that happens overnight, but for me, I finally understood the anger and the hurt and the trauma that I carried was only carried by me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't carrying that trauma for the person who did wrong onto me. I was carrying it and breaking under the weight of it. Just me. So it was up to me to set that down and to forgive. And there was, you know, there was a, more than one person to forgive because there was a something I experienced that I think a lot of women of my generation experienced and especially in the worlds where I was in I was in the acting world and then the news world and there is a sexism that existed then that I hope is changing now and a way that women were treated that made me feel like less than or like an object or all of that stuff that I carried, I had to understand that these people who perhaps didn't treat me correctly learned that from somewhere outside themselves. Because I do believe that we come into this world with goodness and kindness, and they probably learned certain behaviors that were hurtful from outside themselves. Maybe they were hurt as kids. Maybe they saw violence and uh, other negative things on TV and in the media and all around them. And that affected them. But I had to let go when I understood that that wasn't their higher selves doing that to me. That was the lower human faulted self that probably was had his their own traumatic experiences. Jesse, what is some of the the biggest anger you've ever experienced in your life and how did you overcome that or or deal with it using the Tao? You know, I am one of those people that was never comfortable with anger. And I again, it goes back to my origin of uh, being a child in the Soviet Union. And really, you were raised to kind of not buck authority and to be subservient and to be a good Soviet girl. And then in America, I was still a people pleaser. And I, so the reason I ended up with bulimia as my 
way of coping was because I did not know how to experience emotion. I did not know how to let myself feel angry. And so I literally stuffed my feelings, right? Stuffed them down and then purged them, but I didn't know how to actually feel them. So for me, anger is not even such a bad thing. I think we have a lot of, um, a lot of titles and, you know, the Tao, funny enough, right? The Tao talks about whatever you name a thing is not that important. So I think everyone's experience is different. And for some of us, people who were too meek, let's say, to feel their emotions, anger could be a step forward. Mm -hmm. It's a step of moving through the stuff you need to move through. So eventually that is what I did. I was able to move through my emotions. For me, a lot of it was through writing, but also through meditating and through understanding, you know, for a while, my life on the outside was at a standstill. But inside, I was doing really tough work. And I knew somehow on a maybe spiritual level, I knew that the most important work we do is internal work. And I gave myself the time to do the work, to feel what I needed to feel, and to move through it. So I really think the the best way to move through any emotion is to feel it. Well... I'm very interested in uh, how you've discussed the different paradoxes in the Tao Te Ching, because it is a philosophy of paradoxes. Tell us how that helps us as humans to thrive. Yeah, such a great question. Thank you, Bruce, because I think, yes, the Tao is very paradoxical, but I think life is also paradoxical. I think about it a lot, and again, because I have young kids, as you know, um, for listeners who probably won't hear it, like my daughter just interrupted Bruce and I, because that's what happens. <laughs> and I learned that it's so interesting. Like you can't wait sometimes to get them to bed at night, right? You're just tired and, you, you know, they're little, they're needy. And then you get them to sleep. And all that me and my husband do is talk about them. And so yeah. I watch that, right? And I'm like, man, the Tao is right. Life is paradoxical. So because I've been studying it for a long time and I know that I'm never surprised. I'm not surprised by the paradoxical existence of what's within me. Cause I can be so spiritual, so wise. And people say to me, thank you for sharing your wisdom, et cetera. And I could be, you know, a crabby little child. I still have moments like that because that's how we as human beings exist in this world. So to me, what the Tao teaches about paradoxes, first and foremost, help me understand that I am full of paradoxes, that I can love my kids and also want them to leave me alone, that I can be very spiritual and also very petty in moments. And once I can understand that and not judge myself for it, like accept myself as I am, well, that's so easy to then give that acceptance to people in my life because I know that's, I'm seeing, if I meet someone, you know, in just my daily life, someone I don't know, and they're not being very nice to me, I don't think they're an awful person. I think I caught them at a bad moment because I know that both sides exist in everyone. Interesting, yeah. I, I've really found the Tao to be very interesting when it came to the paradoxes. Now, I wanna ask you about the situation in in Russia and Ukraine now, and because I'm sure that this has a very powerful impact on you, you, you and your thoughts and your feelings. And I know I feel a tremendous amount of compassion for both the people in Ukraine and in Russia. Tell us your thoughts about what's happening. 
Sure. And I'm with you on that. I think um, we often forget in these kind of situations, it's not just one good guy, one bad guy. No. It's mostly victims and maybe one really or not one, I should say, but a bunch of unwell individuals um, perpetrating this terror on others. But yeah, the Russian people are suffering as well. It's interesting as a Russian speaker. So I was born in Latvia, but that was Soviet Union back then. And just like, you know, President Zelensky of Ukraine, my native language was Russian. His native language is Russian because that entire generation, we're around the same age. I'm 40. He's, I believe, 40, almost 45. And so that entire generation from the Soviet Union, and that includes Ukraine, Latvia, where I'm from, and many other of the of the satellite countries that were part of the Soviet bloc. Everyone spoke Russian. Everyone watched the same cartoons. Everyone was, I feel such a unity for those people. And I know that, you know, I had Russian followers. I lost a lot of Russian followers on Instagram, for instance, because they don't have Instagram anymore. So I, yeah, I'm very sad for what's happening, but I also see the repetitive pattern of everything. I think of my own family, first of all, how lucky we are that we did leave and we got to live in America where as imperfect as our country is, there's a freedom that now is very much missing from the Russian people, not to mention the Ukrainians who are fighting for their very lives. But, you know, interesting, my father was born in Ukraine. He's from Ukraine. My grandfather was a World War II hero in Ukraine, um, fought you know, just like President Zelensky's grandfather fought in Ukraine, fought for the Soviet Union during uh, World War II. And on my mother's side, her family really suffered under the Stalin leadership and they were ended up in the Siberian camps. And my family suffered so much in that part of the world that to see it brought back in my lifetime to yet more suffering, it's difficult. I won't I won't say it's easy. And as I told you before we started that my book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, launched just a couple of days after the war began. And I'll, as much as it's hard to it's hard to celebrate anything when you know other people are suffering, I also understood this keen moment that we're in where how can you sympathize with other people, but also do the work you need to do for yourself on an individual level to do our spiritual, our personal development work. And what I realized is we have to fill our cups in order to do well for the world. And that the change we want to see in the world also happens on our individual levels. So I continue to teach, I continue to launch because I knew that this work is also necessary. But if you don't mind, Bruce, I'll tell you something really funny. Please do. Or funny, funny is maybe not the right word, but again, another synchronicity. I had filmed a movie with Vladimir Zelensky back in 2009. And this oh. was during my acting days. I was an actress, yeah. a Russian speaker. There was a big Russian film uh, shooting in New York. And so they gave like little parts to struggling actors like me who spoke Russian. I was an actress waitress, I should say, you know. A lot, a lot of struggle on that route. But anyway, so Zelensky was one of the major stars in the movie. And I followed him afterwards. I wrote about him afterwards when he was elected president of Ukraine. So again, this book was written a while back before the war launched. I mean, before the war began. But when my book was launching, everyone kept asking me about chapter 16, which is all about my Zelensky. Ah. 
And it's about my interactions with Vladimir Zelensky and what I learned from him, him by watching him become president based on his very unlikely success of, you know, the whole story was just amazing to me. And then he took the center stage right now. And I think the Ukrainian people are so lucky to have him in power right now. Definitely. So- and I, that, and I wrote about it before it happened. So he had another synchronicity. That's amazing. Yeah. That really is. Tell me some feedback you've received on your book. So that's a good question. I try to um, pay attention and not pay attention to feedback at the same time uh, because I'm Taoist <laughs> in, yeah, of in course. practice. And, you know, the Tao says, what difference between yes and no? What difference between success and failure? And so I always try to remember that. So much easier to remember when you're reading great reviews. So much harder to remember when you maybe see something you don't want to see. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've had great, I've, I've had some really great feedback from people who found it useful, from moms who are struggling with their life changes. There's a lot of, you know, we're also going through, kind of the great resignation, which seems to be almost in our time of pandemic and this war, it's almost overlooked. But I think that when we look back at this time culturally, we'll see a big shift in the way people work. I think there's a big shift to create more balance in the work-life structure. And especially for where I live, there's you know parents of young kids and so it's interesting to me from my community, I've been getting a lot of feedback of people saying, I really need a book like this because they're navigating their own changes right now. I'm reading the book, Letting Go right now. Is that the same thing? Your book is called Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. Would you say do nothing in in your terms is the same as letting go? I think it's all the same. I do. I really think, you know, like the Tao says in verse one, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. So it's like we write and continue to create around the ideas that really move us because we have this need. We have this need to remind ourselves and to share with others. But I think these ideas are all the same. It's about stopping our never ending rat race uh, that hamster wheel that many of us get put on and we don't even ask ourselves why are we on it you know so much of the messaging that we get is external messaging and so my teaching is about quieting the noise and allowing yourself the space to listen to yourself and to even begin to identify which voice is your own voice and when you start doing that which you can only do in moments of doing nothing quote unquote or you know, or at least mental stillness, I'd like to say, you know, you could do it during a walk in the woods, but it's about not doing 20 things at once and giving your mind some rest. And that could be looked at very similarly to letting go, because it's also letting go the reins, letting go the pushing. I see it as we have all these plans and goals, and oftentimes it can feel like we're pushing that boulder up the hill. And I don't think life is meant to be that way. Right. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I want to ask you about the topic of bullying because I have worked in the field of bullying prevention for some time. Do you have a story about bullying either when you were a child or as an adult or as an author where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yes, I think that had I had mindfulness training when I was a child, 
when I was bullied, it would have made a huge difference for me. I was not very welcomed when I came to America as a kid because I came here in 1989, late 1989, and that was right on the heels of the Cold War. And by the way, I'm not even Russian. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Jew from Latvia. Um, uh, the Soviet Union divided people very weirdly, like on their passports. On my passport, it just used to say Jew. That sounds crazy to people when I say that, but that's what it said. And then my family was half of them from Latvia, half from Ukraine. But our language was Russian because often these geopolitical uh, shifts are affect individual people. And I was one of those people. And again, I came from this war-torn family that suffered a lot um, under Stalin, under Nazis, and finally made it to America, the land of the free. But unfortunately, mindfulness was not taught, at least not the way it is now then and a lot of kids were pretty mean when they heard my russian accent and first the russian language because they had watched remember they were growing up watching you know like rocky five like these movies where the russians were always the evil yes people right and so there was a lot of making fun of and you know i remember i'd be stopped i was very small as a child and i'd be stopped in the middle of the stairway and they, they would laugh and say, where are you Russian, Russian, you know, and things like that. And all of these things I internalized because I was a very sensitive child. Sure. Um, that, by the, by the way, bullying did not exist in the Soviet Union. And I think it's important to look at, you know, we forget because it's so easy to be like evil, good, but there were some uh, beautiful things that were included in the socialistic ideas that formed this country. A lot of them did not work clearly, but this kind of unity um, versus individualism in, in the classroom made everyone be really nice to each other. That's the truth. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know, didn't realize that. There was not, there was not, I mean, we were treated as a unit. Individualism was not um, celebrated. And that's not a good thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying because it was not celebrated and you were really taught to be part of the collective and to be a good part of the collective, right? We all had to behave. No one would think of treating each other the way I'd seen here. And it was a really big um, disconnect for me to come from a Soviet structured classroom to like inner city classroom in Brooklyn where kids just were like nuts, you know? Yeah. And I think that I see now the difference, you know, because my kids are school age and they learn mindfulness already. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. First of all, I think had mindfulness been taught in those inner city schools that I ended up in, I think kids would have been less likely to be mean without thinking. For sure. Because they were hurting too. Everybody had stories. You know, there's a lot of single moms raising kids. There were, there was a lot of hurt to go around. There usually is. Mm -hmm. And had they been taught mindfulness, I would have not internalized the taunt so much and made them about myself because for a long time I felt like I was not good enough. I was not able to separate myself from the words of others. And I see now... My daughter said to me, I said, you know, mommy's sorry she lost her cool because we were running super late somewhere and whatever. And I said, but I was really frustrated, but I shouldn't. You're right. I shouldn't. You know, I should have handled it differently. And she said, mommy, you were frustrated. And she's a kindergartner. She said, well, why didn't you just name your feeling? <laughs> oh, wow. And she said, you want to just put your hands on your on your tummy, name your feeling. 
breathe in through your nose and breathe out. What, what did you say you were? And I said, frustrated. Why didn't you just breathe out? You're frustrated. <laughs> wow. I love that. <laughs> That's so fantastic. I, and I get so excited. And they're just taught this in their public school. And thank God that people are teaching mindfulness yes. early on. So true. Jesse, as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The okay. first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Wayne Dyer, who we mm. spoke of. Wayne oh, yeah. Dyer, who took these very complex things like the Tao Te Ching and showed us how to apply them in our lives, which is what I hope Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing does as well. <laughs> right, for sure. And tell me this, how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you, how you uh, treat your emotions, how you deal with them? Mindfulness taught me that there's more than one of me. There's the one that feels the emotions, that reacts, etc. And there's the observer part of myself. And because I am able to observe myself and watch myself, I've become much less reactive. And now that doesn't mean I judge my emotion or I hate my emotion or anything like that, but I'm able to come back to center much quicker because I see it, I feel it, I work through it if I need to work through it, but I don't react from it anymore. I mean, I should say most of the time. <laughs> right. Let's talk about breathing. How is breathing part of your mindfulness? I love breath work. I don't do it daily. Um, sometimes I do breath work instead of meditation. I am amazed at how breathing in certain ways can help you enter almost like a different dimension. And um, for me, breathing really gets me out of my monkey mind. Right. Well, it certainly does with me as well. I want to ask you about books. Now, your book is fantastic. Don't just sit there, do nothing. But what about other books that have influenced you? Do you have a book you recommend that uh, delves into the topic of mindfulness? Yeah. Um, so, of course, I would say the Tao Te Ching itself as well um, is a very potent book, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just yeah. What I love about it is that it's from 6th century BC and the human nature has not changed that much. So it's still relevant, <laughs> very yes. relevant. Um, I also love, I love Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle, I've heard both pronunciations. The Power of Now really helped me understand uh, in my 20s, helped me understand the power of mindfulness in my life. Right. And is there an app? that helps you or that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness? I know I know that there are a lot of apps. For me, if I'm completely honest, what helps me with mindfulness is having tech-free tech days from time to time. Yeah. So I, Sundays, I usually try for Sundays as my tech-free day. Um, so there are tons of apps, you know, there's tons of uh, me meditation apps, right? Like Calm and, but I can't personally recommend any app because I think I do think that it's so potent to just turn it all off sometimes, or at least turn off all your notifications, turn the sound off, and go for a walk without your phone. <laughs> I hear you. Absolutely. As we wrap up the interview, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners? I do. I just want to say, because I don't know who will be listening, who is listening, and what I love about podcasts is the fact that someone can listen to this years later. It yes. could be whenever they've discovered I do want to say that no matter where you are in your life right now, it's all good. 
So what I learned from the Tao Te Ching, what really helped me when I was suffering is the understanding that the labels of good and bad, like I'm doing well in my life, I'm not doing well in my life. Those are just labels that we put on ourselves and on our experience. But actually all of life is a flow and you're flowing whether you know it or not. And all of life gives you the opportunity to learn and to grow. And wherever you are right now, no matter how you feel compared to other people or compared to where you thought you'd be, it's all good. Good advice. And your website is jessiekanzer.com and it's J-E-S-S-I-E-K-A-N-Z or Z, if you're in the United States, E-R.com jessiekanzer.com. And I know that you have a free copy of the book for a lucky listener. Tell us about that. Yes, I would love to give a, a listener a copy of the book. Um, just asking that in order to enter in this giveaway, Bruce and I are doing is uh, please follow me on Instagram at jessiekanzer. That's where I try to be most frequently to answer questions and to post sometimes readings from the book, sometimes uh, other things and other media, that uh, other events that I'm part of. So if you follow me on at Jesse Kanzer and then send me an email, send me a quick note, jesse at jessiekanzer.com. All of the information is on my website as well. And again, follow me, send me a note either on Instagram, you can send me a note on Instagram, or you can email me jesse at jessiekanzer, and I'll just pick one person at random who will get a copy of Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. Jesse, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jesse, and I think it's a really powerful message. Don't just sit there, do nothing. And like I said, I love the subtitle, Healing, Chilling, and Living with the Tao Te Ching. So, you know, send that email to Jesse and get that free book. And if you don't get a chance to do that, I, I strongly encourage you to get the book at any rate and read it because a lot of times we're just pushing too hard in the wrong direction trying 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 pushing 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 and sometimes the best solution is the opposite and you'll learn that in the Tao Te Ching now I'm just wanting to know if you're having any trouble sleeping because that is something that a lot of people are experiencing challenges with these days because these are stressful times for sure and I have a guided meditation that can help you possibly it's a free guided meditation I've created and it will help you fall asleep and help you gain a deeper sleep and to get that free guided meditation, just go to mindfulnessmode.com sleep. And I hope you enjoy that and I hope that it helps you. Uh, and with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>